Uh, handouts coming around. Hey, is that Paul up there? Make sure you record me, please. Um, handouts should be coming around for the lesson this morning. We'll get started here momentarily. I kind of let people trickle in just a little bit, and my computer decided it wanted to shut down this morning on me. So, you know, hey, sometimes technology helps you, sometimes it doesn't. Um, before we do get started, I do want to see if there are any prayer requests or any kind of announcements that need to be made this morning before we get rolling in class. Anything uh, any, needs to be brought to our attention. I'll announce during services, uh, there's a couple updates. Um, May Bird had a hard fall in her driveway and broke, uh, broke her wrist and fractured a bone in her face. And she's going to be coming home hopefully today. So it's, it's not as you know, it's serious. I'm a broken bone serious, but uh, she will be coming home. Then, then hopefully they're, they're saying she may end up going to Hell South Rehab after she comes home just to do some follow-up work there. Um, other than that, June Stringer's in Jackson Hospital fighting pneumonia. So please keep her in your prayers. Keep that family in your prayers. Any other uh, updates on sick or? All right, if there's nothing else, let's go ahead and start off class with a prayer. Would y'all bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, our Lord Almighty, we are thankful to be able to approach you in your throne this morning. We are thankful that we've had another beautiful day to wake up and Enjoy the wonderful creation around us that you've given us. And God, we ask that you be with us throughout this study this quarter as we ask questions about you. And may we be able to search the scriptures and find answers and, and try to, to gain more understanding uh, for some of the questions that we have uh, about who you are and, and what you do and, and uh, how wonderful you are to us. God, we ask that you be with those that are sick, those that are in the hospitals. We ask you to please be with them and their families as they struggle. We ask you especially to be with my father-in-law, Leon Willis, as he's in the hospital, and be with the nurses and doctors that tend to him. And may they find the source of the bleeding that uh, is causing him some problems. Be with, the, uh, be with uh, June Stringer and her family, of course, as she's in the hospital fighting pneumonia. Be with Miss Bird as she is recovering from her fall and uh, the broken bones that she's had. And, and Lord, there are many others uh, that are dealing with sicknesses and, and uh, problems of their health. And we ask that you be with them, bless them, and comfort them. Lord, we ask you to especially comfort those that have lost loved ones. We ask you to be with uh, Brother Freddie and Sister Virginia as they, uh, and their families as they deal with the loss that they've had this last week. And, and we ask you to, to comfort them and comfort uh, their family as best you can and as best we can as our Christian brothers and sisters. Lord, we ask that you... Uh, Continue to, to watch over those that are the, uh, have been the recipients of the, the horrible tornadoes in Oklahoma and the Midwest area and those that have lost lives and, and loved ones and, and possessions. And, and we ask that you just be with them and encourage them as best possible. May we reach out in any way we can and may the Christians out there reach out and to uh, help them in any way, form that's possible. Lord, most of all, we are thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And, Lord, we ask that uh, we remember that sacrifice and help remind us of that sacrifice every day of our life. And it's through his blessed name we pray. Amen. This quarter, and we've got handouts still. If you want to raise your hand, I don't know if you came in late or not. I've got before some Wayne or, or, or passing them out for me. Uh, for the uh, class this morning, we have got... Uh, You'll hold on one second. I need to pull it all up here because 
we're running behind here. But the, the class session this quarter has been titled, thank you, Forrest, uh, is, is entitled Questions About God. And so what we seek to do is to look at um, some of the, the common questions that we may have uh, regarding God, his nature, the way that he functions or, or he acts, uh, the things that he's involved in in our life and, and uh, the things maybe he's involved in in heaven, uh, those kind of questions that we might have uh, with regard to. Before I get into the, the lesson per se this, uh, this morning, I'd like for you to quickly flip over to the back side of that, that handout. And what you can see on the back side of the handout is uh, some proposed topics that I've got for us the rest of this quarter. I kind of want to start there in case we don't get done with lesson. As anybody who's been in my classes before know that sometimes we don't get through things uh, as we get started in some of these lessons. But uh, what I'd like to do is try to answer as many questions as we can this quarter uh, that are about God and about some of the questions we have about him. Some maybe you've studied before, some maybe you haven't. And so if you look on this back, I've listed about eight that I think that are interesting for me, at least to, to consider. And so these are some of them that I'm kind of thinking as the, the first primary ones. What I want to point out to you, though, is if you've got a question about God that you think, you know, this would be a good study. I have burning questions about this or I've studied this and I've garnered a lot of information and, and it's really helped me in my faith by studying this certain aspect of God or, or whatever. Please let me know. Uh, you can either get come up to me and tell me. I'll write it down on a piece of paper, or if you want to write it on a piece of paper and just hand it to me, you can also email it to me. My email address is on the back of the handout. Uh, please email it to me if you've got a question that you think would be good for us to study this quarter. And it may be that I substitute or use it instead of one of these other ones that I've thrown in here uh, because it may be that, that good of a compelling of a, of a class study. But if you look, a couple of the ones that I, I want to look at this during this quarter is, number one, what is God's name? And we want to look back. There's a lot of different names, uh, Hebrew, Greek, that are used, Aramaic, uh, sometimes for the, the name of God. And so we want to try and look, do a type of a word study there and look at a little bit of that. I know we've done that some before. I think Brother Terry maybe preached a lesson, if I remember, about a year or so ago, maybe on that, about the different types of names of God. But I'd like for us to look at it. I think it's a good question for us to consider. How does God communicate with me? Uh, where did God come from? Why does God let bad things happen to good people? Uh, can we really change God's mind? Uh, what is God's will? Uh, are we created in the image of God? And uh, the final one that I kind of came up with was, uh, will God really condemn me? Uh, because I think that those are some burning questions that I think that a lot of us have. And I think a lot of our friends and family may have as well. Uh, with regard to some of the aspects of God. And if you look at this study, I think it's going to challenge us in some ways that maybe we hadn't cha been challenged before, I hope. Um, but I just want to kind of look deep as, as I can at some of these issues and some of these questions that we have, uh, because a lot of them form the very foundation of really our Christian faith, uh, because of who God is really means something and makes a difference. And then a lot of our friends, maybe who are, are atheists, uh, or they, they discuss atheistic type of viewpoints, they're going to throw some of these things at us, like the, the, the whole thing, like the tornadoes that have been happening out there in Oklahoma. So many people have died. You've seen the devastation on TV. You know, you see those things. I remember several years ago when Katrina occurred in New Orleans, you know, you thought you heard about the hand of God being involved in all these things. Uh, why does God let bad things happen to good people? Um, so some of those questions are burning questions that really shake the core of some people's faith. And I want to look at those and try and see if we can answer those the best ways possible so that we will be encouraged and we will be more assured that we are confident in the, the wonderful, awesome power of who our God is. 
but I do want you to please consider and think in your mind, are there some questions? Maybe I didn't think about it. Uh, there's a lot of questions that we could consider, and I'd love to have your input. I'd love to have your suggestions. If there's something that you would like to study, please let me know, because I think this is a good time for us to do that. Uh, I wanted to start out this morning and our first lesson uh, with regard to the question of should we question God? Kind of an introduction type of a lesson, uh, kind of a, a broad overview as to uh, the questioning of God. And I thought it was kind of interesting as I started thinking about how do I start this lesson series? You know, you, you want to, some people just want to jump right into it. And, and, and I thought about doing that because there's several of these topics we could have just jumped, jumped right into, like the names of God. And it's, it's not too complex except look, dealing with the foreign languages, I guess. But, you know, look at the word studies and the scholars. I mean, they, they pretty much all agree on those things, so it's not really a disputed uh, type of, a, of an issue. But then I started thinking, well, what about, you know, maybe we should contemplate the question of whether we should even question God to begin with. Uh, because I think it's very important for us to, to question that and look at maybe the motivations and, and the way in which we approach this subject this quarter uh, before we jump into the, this subject uh, as we go throughout this quarter of study. Um, as you look at this uh, series, I want to look, and if you look inside of your handout there on the left side, you're going to see some presuppositions, and I want to go over those real quickly if I could, because the presuppositions are those things which we're not going to deal with in class. Um, basically, we're not going to deal with them because of time restraints. Uh, there's no way we can get into all these different issues here and still get through any questions of God because, honestly, these presuppositions would take our whole entire class period uh, really to get into them. So if you look at it here, first of all, one of the presuppositions of this class is that, first of all, God does exist. We're not going to get into the questioning of God's existence in this class. That's a whole other class in itself uh, with regard to the existence of God and proving the existence of God. Uh, my good friends over at Apologetics Press have got some wonderful materials. If you have questions, you're dealing with this maybe with a friend or a family member, you want to look at how can I show others that God does exist, get on apologeticspress.org. You're going to see a wonderful amount of material. If you don't have access to the Internet, please let me know. I'll get that to you. But we are going to presuppose in this class lesson series, God exists. And because we also presuppose that God does exist, we're also going to presuppose some of the, uh, the almighty traits of God. And there's really more or less four main traits of God that usually are argued or looked at when we get into some of these topics and some of these issues uh, with regard to God and who he is and how does it intermix and mingle with some of our questions. First of all, God is omniscient. That means God is all-knowing. And you can look in the scriptures and see some of these passages, uh, some of them that come to mind. First John 3.20 is one that comes to mind. If you flip over there real quick, you'll see uh, the writer John there, the epistle, uh, as he's talking to them, he's talking about God's knowledge of his mind. And it says, um, starting in verse 19, we will know by this that we are the truth and we will and will assure our heart before him and whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. And so we see in the scripture, it tells us God knows all things. You can look at other passages. Psalm 139 is one that kind of pops to mind there. The first four verses of Psalm 139 deal with God knowing us before we're born. You know, knowing us, uh, knowing our minds, knowing the, the, what, what we're thinking. And so you can look at all different types of verses in the New Testament talking about that God has this infinite this all-knowing ability of knowing everything. And so there's nothing that is hidden from him, is also some of the other passages of Scripture. Also, God is omnipresent. And that means, that's a word that means always present. And you look in the Scripture, and we're going to suppose and presuppose that, that God is all, 
always present. You can see scriptures such as Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 23 through 24, Hebrews 4, verse 13. Those passages that let us know that God is always there. There is nowhere that is too far from God. There is nowhere that is too near to God. God is there and God is always here. It's a concept that honestly is too great for our minds our mortal minds, because it's hard for us to understand that, that God can be both here and in China at the same time. Because physically, our minds are thinking there's no way. There's no way physically possible. You're right. There is no way physically possible, but there is a way spiritually possible. And we've got to rely on the faith of God and know that the scriptures say that God is always present. So therefore, we rely and walk by faith, not by sight. And so God is always present. Thirdly, God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Uh, there is nothing that is too great for God. Matthew 28, 18, all power, both on heaven and earth, is, is in God's hands. He's got that power. He bestowed it on Christ, it says there in Matthew 28. So, so he has all power, both on heaven and on earth. That's all realms that we talk about and we see in the Bible. It's all-inclusive. He has all power. There's nothing that is too hard for God to do. Now, whether he chooses to do it or not is another whole question. And when we get into some of these things, especially like the problem of pain and suffering, why does God let bad things happen to good people? A lot of these factors start being thrown at you from different directions. Just because God has these traits doesn't mean he always chooses to exercise these traits. And so that's a very interesting, I think, uh, consideration there. Also, fourthly, the fourth kind of main uh, umbrella type of trait of God is that he's omnibenevolent. And so the four omnis here, of course, all-knowing, always-present, all-powerful, and all-good, omnibenevolent is that God is all good. Everything that God has touched, everything that God is involved in is good. It is good, it's not bad. God has no place with sin. It's separate, right? So those things that are bad, those things which are evil are not of God. And you see in the Bible, there's several passages, of course, we know that talk about the goodness of God. Psalm 18, verse 30. Romans 5, 8 is one of the great things. that, Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why? If you read the first part of that verse... It's because that's what shows the wonderful love of God. John three sixteen, one of the most beloved passages. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only beloved son, that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the whole point and fact of the matter is, is that everything that God does gives and that he is, is good. James 1, uh, verse 17, a lot of us know that. All things given by God are what? Good. They're all good. And so God is all good. So we're going to presuppose these four omni uh, characteristics of God. Also, uh, a couple other presuppositions real quickly that I don't want to have to prove. The Bible is the word of God. That seems pretty uh, standard for most of our Bible studies, obviously. But I don't want us to get into some dispute. And we're not going to be talking about how we know that the Bible is the word of God. And also, the, the word of God tells us that God seeks for us to know him and to have a relationship with him. Uh, James talks about this as he's talking about draw near unto God and he will draw near unto you. It's a reciprocity of a relationship there of, of God wanting us to have a relationship with him. Paul even states it over in Acts chapter 17, I think a little bit better as he's talking there on, to the, the Athenians there on top of uh, Mars Hill. A lot of y'all will remember this. You know, he's looking out, surveying the whole area there of Athens, seeing all these different gods, these uh, idols that are built to the different gods of the Greeks and he's, he's kind of surveying it and he sees this one God, uh, this one idol that's built and it's to the unknown God. 
you know, because they don't want to leave anybody else. <laughs> they kind of have this is the catch-all kind of idol there to make sure they catch anybody else. And so what you see there is as uh, Paul standing up and he says, hey, I'm going to tell you about this unknown God. And what he tells them, if you look down at verse 26, it says that he made from one man every nation of mankind. This is Acts 17, verse 26. One nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitations, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As even some of your own poets have said, we are also his children. You know, the fact that God wants us to know him is, is I think, spectacular. That God wants us to reach after him, to grope for him. That word grope is a very interesting word if you look at the word study. But it's almost a word that, that indicates this um, urgency. This like life-saving measures. Imagine if you're falling into a well. You lost your footing and you start falling into this great immense hole. You start groping for whatever you can before you fall into this hole. And that's what the image here is of, of Christians, that, that God wants us as we fall and as we wander away from him in sin, as we, we struggle and stumble through this crazy world that we live in, that we reach up and we grope after him. That we reach out for him, that we want to know him, we want to be near him, that we want to understand him in our daily lives. Now, I think because of all of these presuppositions, especially the very last one, that God wants us to know him, that kind of answers the question a lot of times of should we ask God questions? Should we question God? Uh, I think what you'll see as we go through this study and the rest of the time this morning, there's, there's really no clear indication that there's anything inherently wrong with asking God questions. A lot of times it depends on how we ask more so than what we ask. Let's look at this. You think about this. Um, you know, does it mean when we ask, when we question God, does it mean we don't trust God? Does it mean that we're not putting our full faith and reliance on God, that everything's going to be taken care of, that everything's going to be washed after? Uh, I, what, what do you think about that? Well, how does that impact our faith and our trust when we ask God questions? Your time to talk. Yes. That's exactly right. We're going to get to Job. We're going to get to Job good here in a minute here. Job, she said, Job trusted God, but Job asked God questions. And that's right. That's very right. Does it indicate a lack of trust just because we ask questions? Okay. nice. Yes. I think it's great, George. Yeah. Y'all didn't hear him over here. It, 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 he kind of sees a difference between us asking questions to God and us questioning God. Those two phrases, you know, questioning God almost indicates, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost indicates kind of a, a, a mindset of blame. Now, here's a good example. My wife's not in here. I told her she didn't have to come to my class, that she could go down the hall. And that's good because it leaves me the ability to be able to use examples. Uh, and I don't get in trouble, which I will because y'all go run off and tell her probably. In marriage, and a lot of y'all know this, that are married, you find yourself in situations where you see your wife doing something, or maybe your husband, 
doing something, and you're thinking, well, I'm not sure I would do it that way. And so us as guys, at least this is me, my mindset a lot of times, I want to fix things, make sure things are right. Yes, George? But George yeah, George said it never happened to him. He's out. Um, he's not being included in this. Yes, he is. You know, but I, I'll look at my wife and I'll say, um, honey, honey, do you think this is the right way to do that? Of course, as soon as I say that, you know what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, man, why did I even open my big mouth? Because I get the look. And y'all know the look. The look is, is why are you questioning me? And I think that's kind of what we're getting at here. There, no, I don't want my judgment to be questioned either, but I'm talking about her, not me. <laughs> uh, I think we can all kind of, re- you know, relate to that kind of idea. And a lot of times I'm not meaning anything negative by it. And I have to say, you know, Monica, I'm not, I promise, baby, I'm not, I'm not trying to fault you. I'm just wondering if there's another way to do it, you know, because sometimes it is purely innocent. Uh, and I catch myself doing it because I'm an inquisitive kind of guy. I just ask questions, don't realize how it comes off sometimes. Um, yeah. It is. Yeah, it's kind of like, are you sure, God? Is this really what you want to do? I'd like, I'd like for this cut to be passed from me, please. You know, um, but if it's not my will, it's your will be done. And I think, look real quickly with me through a couple of these points here. Obviously, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is, uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your own understanding. With all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your steps. Remember that little song that Doug does? That's that verse. And Proverbs 3, I think, is wonderful to help, help us recognize the fact we've got to not rely on ourselves when it deals with God. And that's what God wants us to do is that we rely on Him to help direct our steps. Now, sometimes we still got to understand, God, what steps am I supposed to be following, I think, sometimes. So I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with us still relying on God, but asking questions as we go along the way. But you see there, we got to rely on God's understanding. When we trust God... We got to understand he's going to grant us peace. He's going to grant us deliverance. He's going to grant us safety. Man, I start reading these Psalms passages. You know, I did the, the wonderful search. If y'all don't have the program, it's eSword. It's a, it's a free program. If you've got a computer and you want a good Bible study program, that's free. eSword is the program to get. And I just got on there and I just typed in trust for the Old Testament. And I started looking at all that. And in the Old Testament passages, man, Psalms is one after the other, after the other, after the other. It's amazing. In the New Testament, I think there's only like two times the word trust is used. In the Old Testament, man, it is time after time after time after time. That word is used in the English language version. I think it's the ESV I searched. And Psalms is amazing. Read these passages here. I've got them in your handouts there. Go home and read them. It's going to give you such a peace. And I tell you, I almost got emotional because yesterday was an emotional day for me. Uh, we found out Leon is still bleeding some more. We don't know what's going on with that up there in Birmingham. Uh, you know, it's very, um, it's, it's, it's scary. It's scary. You know, I'm worried. I'm thinking as I'm, and here I am working on a lesson about trusting God, <laughs> you know. And so it's amazing how that started speaking to me personally. And I almost got a little emotional thinking about these times and these passages where God told David, God told Solomon time and time again, trust after me and I'll take care of you. You know, put it on my shoulders, let me deal with it. And I think, how often do we replace that trust and, and that faith and that reliance on God with our own understanding? An open defiance of what Proverbs 3 says. We do that too often. 
How can I fix this problem? Guys, I think that's a mindset a lot of us have, right? We're fixers. That's just kind of the mental makeup of most of us guys. We're going to try and fix things. And so we want to try and solve the problems. How many times do we step back and realize we can only do so much? Really, it's in God's hands. And we've got to understand that full faith and reliance upon God is so much more important than us relying on our own selves. Questioning God in and itself is not wrong. Habakkuk chapter 1, it's amazing. If you read the, the, the Minor Prophet of Habakkuk, it's a great book to look at. There's really not any direct statements made to Israel. It's more of a conversation between Habakkuk and God, if you look at it here. And I think it's about three or four chapters. It's not very long. Look at that book, but you see the whole first chapter of Habakkuk is him questioning God. God, where are you? God, why are you letting this happen to your people? And God answers him. And I think it's awesome to look at that and see God doesn't condemn Habakkuk for asking him questions. He could easily have said, don't ask me questions. I'm God. But he doesn't. He answers his questions. He explains to him. He teaches him. He admonishes him. Much like we'll get to a second in Job, we see there too. Disobedience, hypocrisy, complaining, or insincerity can make questioning God wrong, though. We talked about motivation a moment ago, and we talked about the fact that what goes behind those things. When I, when I question my wife, if I have come with the wrong motivation, it's probably not a good thing. Not a good thing. You're right. But there are sometimes maybe it's innocence. It, it, it is a sincere question. With regard to my motivation behind asking those questions. Same thing with God. If you're going at God for the blame game, George, like we talked about, that's wrong. Don't be blaming God now. You can't blame God. That's the wrong motivation. If you're asking and seeking to maybe find some answers, you you are sincerely wanting to know the truth or wanting to know why, God. There's nothing there that condemns it in the Scriptures because you're seeking Him with a, a obedient, with a sincere, with a, a, uh, a loving approach. And I think God welcomes it, if you want my own opinion. I think God welcomes it because if you look and see the examples, which I've listed here, and we may not get through all of them here, but the examples that you see in Scriptures of anybody questioning God, the questioning always leads to what? A stronger faith. A more full reliance upon him. You think about the man Moses. We'll get to him in just a second here. But think about how questioning he was to begin with. I mean, he got a burning bush jumping up at you saying, hey, go lead these people out of bondage in Pharaoh's land, in Egypt land. And Moses is like, do what? You want me? Why do you want me to go lead them out, God? He starts asking God questions after questions and starts making excuses after excuses. Maybe not questions, but he's pretty much questioning God's authority and God's decision to send him down to Pharaoh. And then you see what kind of a man he became at the end of his life. A man so fully entrenched in the full faith and obedience of God that he died standing up on a mountain looking into a land he could not go because he had made mistakes. But he stood there looking. And I think that's what's awesome about the end of his life there. That that he wanted it. He loved God so much. He followed God to the end of his life so much. That in reality, God buried Moses there on the mountain. So you think about questioning God. There's nothing wrong with it. But if we go at it with the wrong motivation, we go at it with the wrong mindset, then obviously I think God may be casting a little bit of a, a problem to us. You look at Job, and Job is a good man. You're right. Job questions God throughout. He, he never turned his back on God. But if you look in Job chapter 38, verse 2, you'll see, and we'll get to it in a second and look at Job, hopefully, as we look at it. But you see an admonition by God. 
God's frustrated a little bit with Job's questions because it teeters there on the fact of maybe blaming God because he's infiltrated and he's influenced by his friends somewhat, I think. And you look at that mindset there. God does not say, he doesn't go as far as saying, hey, Job, you're wrong. Don't question me. He never says that. But it questions whether or not did the complaining attitude of Job almost take him over that line. You know, and you got to understand. <laughs> yeah, attitude. It's all about attitude. And, and I think that's what we see there. But I think that that could make questioning God wrong if we have it with the wrong attitude. So we must ask with the right heart for it to be the right question. I think for us to understand that as we move forward in this lesson series this quarter, we've got to ask with the right heart for it to be the right question for God. Wayne. There's nothing wrong with asking God, well, God, why are you letting our nation do this? Why? And I think it makes us, it pricks our hearts and our minds to think about it. But I agree, Wayne. If you've got that mentality and that attitude of I am relying on God and I know God's got our back. Okay. I don't have to worry and stress about day-to-day operations. Why? God's going to have the overall scheme. Whatever, whatever bum decision is made from Washington or, or maybe from the, the capital down the street here in Montgomery, you know, or, or some other state or some other country, whatever, you know, decision is made that we may disagree with happens ultimately if we fully rely on God and we're living that kind of an attitude and that kind of a lifestyle a lot of that stuff really should just kind of float off our back and just kind of let it go we shouldn't get so caught up in it where we think that hey you know God has lost control God has never lost control he never will lose control Carol No. You're going to live in it. By no means. When he's telling us that we'll be all right, that means for eternity is, is a heaven. I, I totally agree with you there. I think what we look at, first of all, we're never promised safety necessarily on the physical world. We're, we're, we're promised safety with regard to the spiritual world. We're not promised um, no conflict or, or peace necessarily when it comes to the physical world. That that peace and that that passes all understanding is of spiritual nature. Why? It's because, like you said, we have that understanding that I don't care what you do to me while I'm here on this earth. But if I'm living a life that's faithful to God, then I know I've got peace in my mind because I know that I'm going to go to heaven one day. You know, I've done everything that I need to do according to God's word to have that peace in my mind and my heart and that understanding Make sure that it doesn't matter what happens. As a matter of fact, I think we're actually told the exact opposite. That as Christians, we better be ready for trials and tribulations. And the reason is because living this world is not an easy thing for a Christian to do. This is not an easy lifestyle to live. You know, is it easy to, to turn your back on the people who are out there trying to, you know, 
force you or encourage you to go and do things that are not of spiritual. No, it's not easy to do that. A lot of times you talk to our kids and we know that from growing up. It's not easy. And I tell you today, I think it's even gotten that much harder in today's world uh, because of all the things that they get uh, pushed at them. Uh, living a Christian life is not easy and we're promised that it won't be. Carol. Yeah. Uh, you just have to, I find it just, in, you know, because I get to think about it and get more to it. But I remember every time I've always said, God's your will be done. That's, all, that's the only way I can eventually just get out of it and move on. That's right. We've got to turn things over to Him. And that's the best way to do it. Uh, God wants us to cast all this care upon Him, and that's what Peter told us, right? Cast all of his cares upon him, for he cares for us. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to rely on to him. And again, I don't think that it means we can't ask him questions like, why? Or God, what about this? Or God, why not this? As long as we keep that attitude focused upon our faith and our trust in him, we as Christians walk by faith, not by sight, right? And so as we walk by faith, obviously it's those things we can't always see, those things which aren't tangible, those things which we can't always even explain sometimes uh, when you start talking about the spiritual things. Uh, But we walk by faith in knowing that God is God and that he will do those things which he's promised us, James. I think that's a good good question. What... Gene said, uh, the question should be, what is your will and how can I serve? And I think that definitely gets down to it. I want to get more into God's will in another lesson uh, because I think that's a very interesting concept. When you start talking about God's will, I like to talk about it as the big will of God and the little will of God um, because there's an overarching will of God. And there's some other wills of God we can talk about, maybe how we make choices, those kind of things. But I think you're right. I think when we talk about and think about um, what we as Christians and our response should be, we should always be searching and seeking after those things which God wants us to do. And the same way when we ask him questions, we are asking him questions not to put him into a corner, not to try and test God. That's not our, that should not be our purpose. That should not be our, our issue as Christians especially. We should not be trying to tempt or test God. It should be maybe for knowledge. We want to know and we, we hunger and thirst after that knowledge. And I remember we had a class on the Beatitudes a while back. And, and those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, God says, blessed are they. Why? Because they will be filled. And we, we want to be filled with God. We want to be filled with the Spirit. We want to be filled with those things that are spiritual in nature and not physical. Look real quickly. I think it's good as we um, finish up this morning. Look at, I got four different examples. We'll go quickly through them. We already talked about Moses real briefly, of course. There's at least three times that I wanted to pull out that, that Moses questions God. And there's more than that if you go through the whole book. I mean, Moses and, and God have honestly one of the closest relationships you see in God's Word, I believe. Uh, you know, God had a good relationship with Abraham, yes, but it was not as almost a day-to-day relationship as you see with Moses almost. Uh, because, you know, obviously God's presence was with Moses and the people of Israel as they wandered and, and as he led them out of uh, slavery and bondage. And, and, and he had multiple conversations with God 
on a regular basis, especially when God wanted to destroy the people and Moses went up there and begged them not to. And, you know, you see that time and time again there in the nation of Israel's history. Three times I at least want to kind of point out here to you of the questioning of God. I don't have time to read all these, so please take these handouts home. Look at these and more closely and you'll see them, I think, with it. But the first time he questions them, of course, we already alluded to this, is uh, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. Whenever God wanted him to lead them out of the bondage, uh, that is uh, the burning bush episode there. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, uh, he really confronts God and he asks him, he said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring forth uh, the sons of Israel out of Egypt? He just boldly uh, and just bluntly asked God, Why me? Why me? You see him later question God in Exodus chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. He and Aaron had gone down to Egypt. They confronted Pharaoh and said, let my people go. That's what God said to do. Uh, Pharaoh got angry with them. And instead of allowing the people to go free, what did he do? He actually enhanced uh, their workload. They quit giving them straw and made them go out and collect their own straw to create and make the bricks that they were using. So it actually enhanced it. And so at that point in time, even without any kind of questioning or conversations with God, uh, Paul, I mean, Moses looks up into heaven pretty much and says, God, why have you brought harm to these people? Why did you ever even send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh and speaking your name, he's done harm to these people and you have not delivered your people at all. Wow. Wow. Talking about questioning God, you see Moses questioning God there. Of course, if you'll read the response in chapter 6, you'll see God promised action. He kind of told Moses it wouldn't be on his timetable. It's more on God's timetable there. He's got a plan. He's got a strategy, a course of action there for it. Um, But he answers Moses in his questioning. Later on, chapter 32, you see another episode there of the questioning of God uh, with regard to Moses. And, and I find this one very interesting. And if we get into the prayer and the ability to change God's mind, this will probably be one of the texts that we use as we look at that, that question uh, for God of can we change God's mind. You see, in chapter 32, if you'll remember, this is the golden calf. Moses had gone up to, get the, the, to speak to the Lord up on the mountain. He came back down. When he came back down, the people had built this golden image, this golden calf that they were worshiping. They were bowing down to literally there at the foot of the mountain where, where Moses was meeting with God. Angry. God was furious. You see there in chapter 32. It says, verse 32, verse, uh, chapter 32, verse 10, this is what the Lord said to Moses. He said, let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make of you a great nation. He's going to let Moses be the only one left standing. Moses, though, you look there in the letter 11 through 13 there, Moses entreated the Lord. He said, oh, Lord, why does your anger burn against the people, your people, whom you brought from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them in the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Isaac, or remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your servants in whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, all this land which I have given you, and they shall inherit it forever. You know, very interesting. You look in verse 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he was going to bring about to the people. Wow. All that because Moses questioned God. God was going to destroy him. And instead he saved him because Moses questioned him and reminded God. Which God doesn't need reminded. You've got to understand that. He didn't need reminded, but he understood that Moses saw the big picture. From the questioning that he gave to him. 
And the wonderful answer there that God gave to him, I think, answers volumes. What lesson can we learn from this? Well, quickly, we see God will answer questions, but I think we've got to be ready to accept the answer sometimes. Moses didn't necessarily like the, the question at the beginning, right? He didn't like being asked to go to Pharaoh. He even said, hey, why me? Why me? Well, he got the answer, you know, and he, he kept making excuse after excuse, kept asking God question after question. Why are you going to send me? Well, God, how can you send me? I am not a speaker. I can't talk. Well, guess what? God gave him an answer. Here's Aaron. He's going to go with you. Sometimes we don't always like the, the, the answers, but we better be ready to accept them because if we ask God questions, uh, we may very well get an answer for those questions. Gideon. Gideon had several questions. Judges chapter 6, verses 12 through 13. He had a sincere desire to understand God. And the, the answer that I think that the lesson we get from Gideon's experience here, and you look back at Gideon, of course, Gideon was afraid of Midian. Midian had conquered the people. God had told him that he was going to be leading the people and was going to take down this great nation of Midian that was going around and smiting uh, group of group uh, after group of people. Uh, Gideon questioned God and God actually, to prove a point, whittled down his army, if you remember, to like 300 men. <laughs> and they're going to go take on this whole massive Midianite army. Why? Because Gideon questioned God. Now, he questioned it sincerely. There's no condemnation there of Gideon for why he questioned what he questioned there. But what we do see, the lesson from here is God accepts sincere questions from those who have righteous hearts, I believe you see there in Gideon. Job, we could spend a whole class on Job. I know we've had classes on Job before, but the entire book of Job is replete with questions that are to God. Ultimately, and what's interesting, it goes 38 chapters, you know, until chapter 38. So 37 chapters full. God really doesn't answer Job. I don't know if you really realize that or not. That really resonates or if you remember that from your studies with regard to it. But finally, in chapter 38, it's like God had enough. And he finally talked to Job and answered Job his questions. And if you look at those answers there in Job, uh, it's amazing. And all it is is really God answering a question with a question. Those of us in law enforcement who dealt with those kind of cases, that's a good way to get information, by the way. It makes people think. And you, you ask questions to, you know, do you need a lawyer? Well, I don't know. Do you need a lawyer? You're not really answering a question, but in some sense you are um, with regard to That's why you sit here with God. God is, is looking at Job and saying, pretty much, who are you to ask me questions? Or do you know, were you around when the, the face of the deep was formed? <laughs> you know, were you around when, when I, I formed the, the birds of the air? Were you around when I did this? You know, who were you? And really, it's not necessarily a condemnation of Job. I think you read it and you look at it and you say, you know, Job was faithful. The very end of the book, it says Job was faithful to God. And so there's no, there's not an indication there that God turned his back on God. I mean, that Job turned his back on God because he questioned God. But what you see here is ultimately Job's questions were answered in a sense by, by reminding Job about who he was and where his place should be and the proper respect that he should give God. And also answering him, because time and time again, Job had said, well, why, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Why are you doing this? The, the idea and the overarching principle that God evokes in Job 38 and following as he answers his questions is that it's my plan, Job. It's my plan. I am all powerful. I am the one with the answers. I am the one who's able to lead you. Let me do it. Quit worrying about those things. And there's a constant reassurance there to Job, I think, to help us understand that even in admonishing Job, which is what he did, he admonished him, it says, and he taught him. 
And he taught him proper perspective when questioning God. Carol. Oh, yeah. No doubt. No, no, Job would not have broken. And I do. I think the way that God addressed, yeah, the way God addressed him underscores the fact that faith is built up by the questioning because the answer that he received helped reassure him and let him know that God is so supremely powerful. God is the one that is in control. God is the one who has the power to create. God has the power to destroy. And he knows that he's there in God's hands. He's in a good place. The lesson we learn from Job, of course, we got to keep a proper attitude toward God if we do question him and when we ask him questions there. Real quickly, and I want to leave you with this one, is Christ. Uh, I think it's very interesting for us to look at Christ, who was a perfect human. Uh, and I somehow left the verse out there. I'm sorry about that. But as Christ hung in pain, he questioned God. <laughs> Have y'all thought about that? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means what? My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Now, a lot of times we look at that and we think, well, he's, he's bringing about fulfillment of the Old Testament. And that, that's true. There is a, a, a prophecy with regard to those kind of things. He, he is quoting uh, some of the, the old words they would know. But he's still expressing that to God. As he looks up in pain and agony on the cross, he sees his father turn his back on him. Because he cannot be around sin, right? We talked about that earlier. God's all good. He cannot be around sin. He cannot be in the presence of sin. So therefore, that's, that's not a part of him. So he had to turn his back literally on his own son as he hung on the cross because all the sins of the world were on him. And God in the flesh, Christ, who was human just like us and who was perfect, which is unlike us, uh, questioned God. So I think it's great to think about this principle as well. Even Christ, as, as wonderful and spiritual as he was, questioned God. So I don't think there's anything wrong with us questioning and asking God questions as well today. Next week, let's start off with the question about what is God's name? And so if y'all want to do a little research independently on that, please do so. And uh, we'll get back and reconvene next Sunday. I appreciate it.